Week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to episode 391 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Whatever term we use to describe it, be it worldly, earthly, materialistic, or the more precise biblical phrase of the flesh, the fact is the way we think and speak is dominated and controlled by our fears and desires. We fear judgment, so our hands bend the commandment into a cultural bludgeon. We desire comfort, so our minds twist the written gospel into an amorphous oral tradition accessible over a cup of coffee without disciplined study or memorization. As such, we find ourselves safe and sound inside our borders under our flags while others burn. The exact opposite of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians we are comfortable and cozy while others hunger and thirst. In light of Matthew chapter 25, it's no wonder we believe that wrought memorization is a waste of time. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 to 46. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 391 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We talked about repetition last week because we are going to repeat what we said last week, not because we want to. We never say anything on this program or from the sacred step in church because we want to, but because the Bible tells us to. And the Bible tells us to because Jesus told Paul to say it to the evangelist to write it. And the reason Jesus told Paul is because God the Father told him. And at every step in the chain, it was repeated. And we're going to repeat it again. In Deuteronomy, when the old generation is about to send the new generation on their way, the job is to teach the story of the Exodus to the next generation. And the word that's used there is shana, which means to repeat. The way that you teach the story to your children is you repeat the word, you repeat the story, you repeat the teaching to your children over and over again. This section here is the culmination. It is the conclusion of this long passage, this long parable, this long complex parable of many parables. And this is the underscore for the entire section about preparation, about fleeing when it's that time, and being ready for the judgment that's about to come. 
And by repeat, I don't mean repeat the oral tradition you think you sort of remember because someone said it to you when they were talking about something. Can we once and for all dispense with the fantasy island in your mind of the imaginary oral tradition that doesn't exist? By oral tradition, I mean what people say. Oh, Paul told me about the gospel. Let me share it with you. Like there's this amalgus mind of a teaching floating around between people who are in the know who kind of share it as they're sipping coffee and knitting sweaters. Come on, people. Do you really believe that? It's an impossibility. Just ask Dr. Benton and his work with the Somali community. If it's not written down, if there isn't a grammar or it's not committed to memory, the tradition is lost. The Somali community is struggling to maintain their poetic tradition because their children are not memorizing Somali poetry when they come to these shores. There is no oral tradition. You have to commit the literal words to paper or to memory, word for word. Oral tradition is a fiction. It's a fancy of European romanticism born out of laziness because people don't want to memorize things anymore, period. It's like that made-up source in Scripture that no one takes seriously and they made fun of in Star Trek called Q. There is no Q. You either have a source or you have nothing. That's what science is. Either you can explain something or you can't. Come on, people. There is no oral tradition. You either have something written down or you're making it up. That is why in Scripture, in the story, in the way the story unfolds, even within this mashal, this little excerpt of the judgment in Matthew 25, this compact little pericope, we're going to hear the same thing repeated multiple times. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Once again, the English translation never fails in its failure. Because somebody reading Galatians and reading Matthew would say, Huh, I wonder if there's a connection here between verse 41, and the accursed of chapter 1 of Galatians. And guess what? There's absolutely no connection whatsoever, Richard. Because Paul, when he uses the term anathema in chapter 1 of Galatians, is talking about avoided offering, because he's ridiculing those who void the cross by wasting their time in worldly ascesis trying to earn the kingdom. It's something different than the term that's used here in Matthew, kataraome, which literally means cursed. The Lord now is 
cursing those who did not follow the commandments of his father, who did not walk according to the precepts of the law, according to the wisdom of Deuteronomy, which they should have taught their children to recite, to repeat, and to do. And here we have such a beautiful amalgamation of so many of the literary streams and themes from throughout the book. And this cursed word, this counter word that's spoken against these particular individuals comes when Matthew is all about the kingdom and establishing the kingdom. These two chapters have been all about who's included, who isn't included, who's allowed in, who's cast out, who's brought in, who's ready to come in, who has to leave, who's ready to leave the city, who isn't ready to leave the city. This inclusion and exclusion have been everything for this series of parables. Here, the initial word is to leave me, go away from me. This is like the head of the feast who is saying, if you don't have the lamp and so you're late to the party, go away. If you don't have the garment, leave. You're not ready. If you aren't ready, you can't come. It's about readiness. There is this idea of preparation. Yes, this is open to everyone. The kingdom is a possibility for anyone who wants to enter, who anyone who wants citizenship, but it doesn't come for free. You have to be prepared. So the citizenship exam is open to anyone, but everyone has to take the exam. And you can't just show up and take it whenever you feel it. You have to prepare. The preparation is real. Being ready to enter the kingdom is is real. And the way one prepares is by understanding Scripture. That's why when Jesus speaks against the Pharisees, he has no problem scandalizing them. When he says at the same time, you aren't able to scandalize any one of the weak ones, the little ones. It's because the Pharisees are going to pull others off the way because of their false teaching. If you prepare in the way of the Pharisees, you won't be ready for the kingdom of heaven. You have to prepare, because otherwise you are cursed. The word of Scripture is against you because you have not been preparing by understanding Scripture and by learning Scripture, and as you said so forcefully, Father, without committing Scripture to memory. You then are going to the fire, if you are not correctly prepared, which precisely is prepared for the devil and his angels. Why the devil and his angels? Because they would not submit to the word of the Lord. Remember, an angel is a messenger. An angel carries a word. An angel of the Lord carries the Lord's word. But an angel of the devil carries the anti-scriptural, anti-gospel word. As a result, the devil and his angels, those who carry his word, are consigned to this fire which was specially prepared for them who did not prepare correctly for the kingdom of heaven. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. 
I was a stranger and you did not invite me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. It's a literal repeat of what he said to those on his right, with the exception that they didn't listen and they didn't do what they were supposed to. But he repeated the list of commands pointing out that they did not fulfill those commands. Then they repeated those commands, indicating that they had no clue that they weren't doing it. Oops. This way, it's read into the record, and we all saw with our ears the actual event of the judgment in the Gospel of Matthew without any assumption misconception or confusion about what went down and what the implications of the judgment are for you and I. It's a very serious matter, and we cannot add to the criteria for the judgment or subtract from the criteria for the judgment, which means that all of you out there in the United States thinking about your piddly political ideology, your ismos, or your religious ideology that you're all bent out of shape in your culture wars over, trying to figure out where that person who you are certain is destroying your amazingly beautiful culture, whatever it is you've constructed, the idol you fashioned with your human hands, the one that Paul says is anathema, you know, the one that voids the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the thing you've built in order to worship, that thing, it doesn't show up anywhere here. The person that you think is the cause of all ills doesn't make this list. So you're concerned with the wrong question in your culture wars. The only question in Matthew is the love of neighbor and not judging your neighbor. And all I hear Christians talking about in 2021 is which neighbors to judge and how to identify which neighbors you don't have to care about, and why it's important to love your country. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Shame on you. You wear a cross around your neck and this is how you speak? Are you kidding me? And you know who you are. As Paul says in Romans 2, whoever you are, you know who you are. Father, I can't help but hear the culture warriors also in my mind ringing because the clarity of the repetition makes it absolutely clear what the criteria of judgment are. You know that this country is dust. Jesus, when he talks about Jerusalem, with a wave of his hand says, I don't care. But when he talks about the final judgment, he repeats himself 
over and over and over again. We are not allowed to ignore that. We are not allowed to read chapter 25 separate from 24. We are not allowed to read one verse from chapter 25 distinct from the other verses in the same chapter. The culture warriors who would speak of anything but the kingdom of heaven. And to have any criteria besides these, if we even want to go back to the discussion we had about the wedding garment and what does the wedding garment mean, if the reference for how we interpret what that wedding garment is isn't these criteria, we ourselves have gone astray. These are the criteria. It cannot be about military, it cannot be about medicine, it cannot be about sexuality or marriage or anything. These cannot be the criteria for the kingdom. They can't be the criteria for the kingdom. These are the ones. And I don't want to see any more videos by so-called Christians about our rights when it comes to what medicine we have to and don't have to take when you're not talking about taking care of the sick. You're talking about taking care of your own health when Scripture itself says the criteria is how do you take care of those who are already sick, not how does your society take care of the sick. Let's just say it. Christians who are concerned about their rights are not under Christ through Paul. They're under the flesh through Jefferson, and it's a big joke. We have to be in the world, but not of it. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. We are not citizens of any nation. We are citizens of the kingdom living in the palm of God's hand. And we're now talking about God and country and putting flags in the sanctuary. Are you kidding me? Billy Graham would get excited because he could get 50,000 people to come to a revival. But how many hungry people were fed? How many naked people were clothed? How many sick people were visited? How many people in prison were visited? And how many strangers were taken in? Interestingly, there are no records for that. There are no numbers for that. I am disgusted simply by the question of how many strangers were taken in. You talked about the United States. Okay, fine. The United States is terrible in the way that we make those who are especially vulnerable and who are especially in danger wait in line at the border with a paper notebook that they sign their name to to see if they eventually get into the line to see if they have a possibility of maybe being let in as a stranger maybe at some time in the future. And as long as they can keep things up, then they won't be kicked out again. The government of Afghanistan has to beg Europe not to send refugees back to their country because it's dangerous for them. And the European countries have not agreed to it. And in fact, Germany, as we speak, is proceeding with deportation for an Afghan man who got too many speeding tickets. And somehow... This is compatible with those who call themselves Christians? Now, Germany is not necessarily as eager to call themselves Christians as Americans are. But 
How are we doing with those who are in prison and those who are sick and those who are hungry and those who are thirsty? How are we doing with those people? There are no numbers that matter other than those numbers. There are no numbers other than those numbers that matter. You filled your church. Great. Now I know that Sunday morning, your people are not feeding the poor, are not giving drink to the thirsty, are not giving clothes to the naked, are not visiting those in prison, and are not visiting those who are sick. Every Sunday morning, I can guarantee that all the Christians are not doing the criteria for this unless they're skipping church because they memorized these words and they took them seriously. We have to take these words seriously. There is no oral tradition where you get the gist and you talk about it and you squeeze your little criteria from your ideological culture war into the Lord's specific criteria for the judgment in Matthew. You can't mess around, friends. You cannot mess around. And when Paul talks elsewhere about lists of other criteria that shut you out of the kingdom, he does so to shut you out, to put you in your place so that you won't judge the others. Because the way sin functions, this is the whole point of what Paul is saying to the church in Galatia. The function of sin, it's what he's saying in Romans, the function of sin is to teach you first that you are unrighteous so that you recognize that you are no different than anyone else. But at the same time, to use your sin as an opportunity for others to hear the Torah. It doesn't excuse your sin, because if it did, then you would no longer be under judgment and would no longer feel shame, and then there would be no hope for you. But God can still use your sin. So your sin is a problem. You're unrighteous. You can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're stuck. If God doesn't decide to accept you the way he accepted Sarah, despite the fact that she was cruel and abusive towards Hagar, if he doesn't decide to make you productive, despite the fact that you are as unproductive as Abraham, who was as good as dead and couldn't produce offspring, if he doesn't decide to bless you, even though you were wicked and deceitful and selfish like Jacob, if he doesn't decide to bless you, even though you were a treacherous and abusive murderer like David, if he doesn't decide to bless you and allow you to bear witness to his teaching, even though you were a godless, self-righteous murderer like Paul, then there's no hope for you. And if you imagine that you are something when you're nothing, there's no hope for you. 
We've been trying to say this on the podcast for six years. Six years we've been trying to teach this. So how now can we come to the judgment and in the back of your mind you're still trying to figure out, but how can we single out those people whom we disagree with in the culture wars and prove to them that they're not going to inherit the kingdom? If that's still the math you're doing in your head, then you pertain to Thomas Jefferson, you do not pertain to Jesus Christ, and you have a problem we can't solve for you. Go find your happiness. As for the house in which we dwell, we serve the Lord. This commandment is not to serve those because you feel sad, because you feel sympathy, because it feels good to help the poor. This last line Inasmuch as you did it not to one of these, you did it not to me. You are not serving the poor because you feel sad for them. You serve the poor because the poor are your master. You are under orders to serve these. And it is to him, your master, to whom you pertain, not the poor. The poor are your master. So this is not a Jesus meek and mild. This is your Lord. You're reporting to duty, performing your diakonia, and doing the job. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And remember, that's what we're trying to tell you today. You don't decide who's righteous. You can't decide if you're right. If you're righteous, you can't make yourself righteous. There's no self-help book with 10 steps to become righteous. It's the Lord who will tell you who is righteous on that day. To him be the glory and the dominion. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.